Hi, I'm Shashank Bhargav and you're listening to Three Things, the Indian Express news show. Due to the COVID-19 outbreak, India has been dealing with one of its worst health crises. But the pandemic has also enabled several other calamities all at once. The stringent nationwide lockdown which the government implemented to stop the virus from spreading triggered the crippling economic crisis. It also led to the migrant crisis where lakhs of migrant workers with their children were forced to return to their villages hundreds of kilometers away, many of them on foot. The government has been accused that it did not think of the consequences that such a large-scale decision would have in a country where so many live in poverty. Slowly, we are coming to know about more such crises that it appears that the government didn't anticipate. And one such crisis is the one India's children are facing. During the lockdown, the number of children being taken away from their homes for illegal labor, trafficking and forced marriages have increased. This is what the Indian Express has found out through an investigation of childline data. The paper found out that during this time, there was a sharp spike in interventions where officials or aid workers had to step in to rescue children in distress. In this episode, we speak to Dipankar Ghosh, who broke the story and conducted the investigation. And he first talks about what led him to it. The genesis of the idea goes back to when I was in Bihar in Bhagalpur doing a series on the effects of the lockdown. That time, Dipankar had done a story on Dalit children living in the Musahar Tola in Bhagalpur. Where children, because there were schools were shut and because there were no midday meals, these were the poorest of the poor. And given that there were no midday meals and the schools were shut, children had taken to rack picking. The children in the village had to resort to begging or collecting waste, earning 10 to 20 rupees for plastic scraps. This is what got Dipankar thinking. He says that the conditions under which child trafficking thrives are no secret. It has a direct correlation with income levels dropping and with children dropping out of schools. And both of these things were happening during the lockdown. And in that sense, this is the perfect storm. The lockdown is the perfect storm. Across states, parents or poor families have very little income. And in fact, schools and colleges are shut. So children have really nowhere to be. And when I was talking to experts, just, you know, trying to find out if this was true, one of the things one person did tell me was that at that point, he wasn't really advocating that schools should be open, but it was something that we should keep in mind is to say that when you say schools are shut, the presumption is that the children are safer at home. But for a large part of our country where parents are desperately poor and have lost incomes because of the lockdown completely, children will not necessarily be at home. They're looked at as additional hands to bring in money. During severe economic distress, many parents are forced to sell their children for labor or child marriage. This is what led Dipanka to find out whether child trafficking had in fact increased during the lockdown and what mechanisms were in place to try and stop it from happening. Now, one would imagine that crimes like child trafficking would be difficult to happen during the lockdown because of the many restrictions that it came with. During the months of the lockdown, this was a point at which all traffic, all travel had stopped. Trains were shut, industries were shut. In an ideal world, um, 
what should have happened is that child trafficking should have come down to absolute zero or this hunt for child labor should have come down to absolute zero but that is not what happened and the national child line showed that dipankar tells us about it what the child line 1098 is like a distress number all across the country which is put out by the ministry of child and family welfare and it is run by this organization called child line which is in charge of receiving all of these phone calls so for instance it's like a 100 number for children in distress if you want police help you call 100 if there's a child in distress you call 1098 and it is data from this helpline that dipankar tapped into and this data revealed some very disturbing findings the first aspect was that in the same months last year while the number of distress calls were lower this year which they should be so the number of distress calls should have been zero but they want they had gone down only from 36 lakh to about 27 lakh but the number of interventions were higher so what that means is is that when a child is calling in distress to that number that number then the person on the other end of that phone call that is trained in assessing these things kind of then decides what action needs to be taken and if it is a distress call that requires an intervention from agencies such as you know ngos on the ground or district administration or the police they kind of then reach out or child line officials themselves now the number of interventions had actually gone up which means there were more children in distress that needed rescuing during a period of between march and august which were exactly the months of the lockdown and that clearly means that we were staring at a grave crisis that we didn't really we hadn't really acknowledged before the number of child distress interventions going up was one problem the other was of child marriages now child marriages are clearly linked to economic distress girl children get the worst affected because we have these age old traditions of of child marriages where poor families and across states in the most vulnerable areas kind of believe or the conditions are such that you look at the girl child as another mouth to feed you look at the girl child as a burden because you'll need to spend money when you are marrying her off later and that is money that you do not have and you don't foresee having either because the economic conditions are so bad traffickers who are on the lookout for child brides often approach these families suffering from economic hardships and offer them money in exchange for their girl child who is later married into a family they don't know much about this exchange means that they now have to take care of one less member of the family financially and during this time dipankar says data showed that child marriages had gone up and apart from this he says there was also data available on child labor during this period there had been 1600 distress calls related to child labor which meant that traffickers were honing in on villages and they were then transporting children even though trains were not functional they were transporting children to industries where child labor was being used so all of this kind of points to not only that trafficking was thriving but that you know it was going up and also the the entire point of this story is also to say that once trains open up which are one of the most important ways of trafficking that exists in the country we are looking at a crisis that could become very very dangerous for the children of this country going forward dipankar says that they also had data from the bachpan bachao andolan about this an organization that works to protect children and advocates for child rights 
The data by the organization showed how children had been rescued from buses going from one part of the country to another. Some of these people told us stories about how these buses were clearly being sent from destination states. So in trafficking, there's a source state and there's a destination state. The destination state is where the labor is, industry is. The source state is where the children originally belonged from. Now, these buses were being sent from where the industry was to pick up labor and they were looking for the cheapest labor available and clearly that was also children. So children were getting on those buses and coming back. So there was a full industry that was thriving and that is preying on this economic distress. Dipankar shares the example of one such incident where children in three buses in Udaipur were being made to go to Surat and Rajkot to work in dhabas, hotels and hostels. Now, of the 10 children, two of them had gone to work before, but eight of them had never gone to work before. And they were registered in schools back home in their villages in the Gogunda block of Udaipur, which means that there are now new children being added to that child labor force. So apart from the fact that child marriages are going up, potentially there are new people being added to that number of child laborers that we already have in this country. And that is deeply distressing. Dipankar says that this increase in the cases of child labor and child marriage during this time hasn't really come as a surprise to authorities because this is a pattern that has been observed in other parts of the world as well. This is what tends to happen when there is an economic distress as bad as this one. Dipankar gives the example of a man named Chandan Maiti, an anti-trafficking activist who's been working in the Sundarbans in West Bengal for many years. Maiti is also the headmaster of the Krishna Chandrapur High School. And he, like other activists, had foreseen that something like this would happen. Now, he, when he first came to that part of the Sundarbans in 2003, where there is largely a very poor fishing community, he found that there were age-old customs where the girl children were thought to achieve marriageable age when they had their first menstrual cycle. Now, over time, with some increases in income and awareness, etc., he had worked on it and worked on it. And from 2015 to March 2020, there was, there was absolutely no case. And then everyone there knew that once economic the lockdown hit and migrant laborers came home, basically penniless, so they'd spent everything trying to get home. And home, they had left their villages in the first place because of the economic distress in those villages there was going to be no money and therefore you would probably return to age-old customs which would help your economic status in a way which was, you know, selling off your children either for labor or for child marriages. So again, suddenly there was this huge spate in the last few months of 30 cases where he has intervened and he says he has not been able to intervene in so many more. Now the question is, if this was something that was predictable, that activists like Maiti could foresee what mechanisms were in place by the government to stop this from happening? Dipankar says that unfortunately, the checks and balances that should have been in place, ones that have been talked about for so many years, are simply not. We have not, as governments, we have not taken these things seriously, which means we do not have robust mechanisms to stop this. One of those examples, of course, is the anti-human trafficking unit. Now, back in 2006, our story kind of talks about how there was a pilot project to kind of bring in AHTUs in dedicated AHTUs in districts. After the success of a pilot project in about three or four states, where they saw that there were direct results of a dedicated anti-human trafficking unit in every police station, in every police district, which would basically have 
a dedicated team of officers, of police officers in every police station, coordinating with uh, civil government officials and NGOs at that level. There were direct correlative results of increased monitoring, increased you know, tracking of these problems, and there was a reduction in trafficking. You could identify traffickers, etc. So a couple of years after the success of these anti-human trafficking units, these AHUs, the Ministry of Home Affairs in 2009 advocated that these units should be put in place in 335 districts in the country. Which meant that AHUs would be in 50% of the police districts in India. Um, in March, when this lockdown happened, in a month, the Bachpan Bachao Andolan wrote a writ petition to the Supreme Court where they kind of said that we are we are staring at a grave crisis. And this is in April, huh? so people already know that there is going to be an issue. It has, The matter has gone to the Supreme Court. The government of India is cognizant of it. Now, the government of India, the MHA, then issues a notification in July, which kind of identifies the problem of child trafficking as something that is going to be an issue post the lockdown and in the economic distress. And they say that of their prescriptive measures, at least four of them are about the anti-human trafficking unit. And they kind of suggest that we have periodically over the last decade sent money so that AHQs can be in 50% of the districts. We are now sending more money so that there can be AHQs in 100% of districts. And please, please look into this on a most urgent basis. Those are the words that they use. But the Indian Express investigation showed that despite the Ministry of Home Affairs advocating for them in 2009, Despite organizations like Bachpan Bachao Andolan sending money for them, the prescribed number of AHUs are still not in place. You know, forget conversations of whether existing AHUs in states are operational, whether they're treated seriously, whether they work at all. Our investigation showed that in eight states and one union territory, which is Jammu and Kashmir, there were not even the number of AHUs prescribed. So the number of police districts far outnumbered the number of AHQs in these states. Now, which are these states? Some of these states are from the Northeast, but some of these states are states that are easily identifiable in trafficking routes that have always existed in this country. That these are states that have always required special focus, and they don't even have AHQs in every district. So, for instance, one of those states is Uttar Pradesh, which has less than 50% of AHQs in their districts. Another one is Jharkhand. Jharkhand is synonymous with trafficking. It has 24 districts and only 12 AHQs. Chhattisgarh has 27 districts and only 8 AHQs. So these are really key states in that entire, if we really are serious about countering child trafficking, if you are serious about monitoring child traffickers, you need dedicated police officers or dedicated teams in every district to track movement. And we simply don't have that. So we might know that the problem exists, but under our current structures, we are failing at ways to combat. But apart from setting up this infrastructure, one problem that the government needs to tackle is, of course, the economic stress and poverty, which, like mentioned earlier, are a key factor that give rise to these cases. Dipanka talks about measures that experts in the field talk about. So if you talk to these experts and ask them what needs to be done, they will say that in the pandemic and after the lockdown, the government has a host of host of measures, right? It is giving people uh, ration. There are some schemes, state government and national government schemes that are giving money to poor people to put some money in their pockets. The first thing that needs to happen is that these schemes really need to get to the ground. 
that's number one number two is that i think it's part of the idea that we are so lax we don't really look at this as a problem or we're not acknowledged it as an issue um is that they're they're saying that at least the mechanisms that we have already prescribed such as the ahu needs to be put in place they are there they are prescriptive for a reason it is that this needs special attention now because before you know it the next time you look at data on school dropouts like the example of udaipur that i gave you you could have children that are dropping out school dropouts could be much higher so you know one of the things is that if you look at the ncpcr guidelines on how to assess child trafficking that assessment point number 1 is to assess the number of school dropouts and if the dropout rate is going up now in this period up till october 15 schools weren't really open schools weren't allowed to open now states are going to slowly open up schools so in the absence of that data of school dropouts you can pretend that the problem doesn't exist but you know that it does which means you need to take preventive measures very quickly experts say that some of these measures include having dedicated officers of the education department specifically looking at this problem i think the key that experts talk about is acknowledge that a problem exists and that we might be facing a crisis the moment you start doing that then there are prescriptive methods from the administrations that is putting officers on special duty there um, to monitor school dropouts to monitor children going away make the railway police and the police when they're looking at check posts make them watch out for children there are telltale signs of you know trafficking that happens for instance if there's one adult traveling with 10 children there is an indicator that there might be something wrong here but what you need then is you need rescuers standing at transit points you need rescuers standing at check posts across states a lot of these measures are not in place right now Dipankar gives the example of a case that illustrates how things are just not working. The case involves a bus that was caught in the outskirts of Jaipur. The bus had several children who were being taken to work in factories in Jaipur. Now that bus had come from Samastipur in Bihar. That is 2200 kilometers away. When they caught this bus, this bus didn't have the right number plates. The driver didn't have a license and the bus didn't have its papers. which means that across 2200 kilometers multiple state borders multiple check posts that bus had traveled unencumbered if anything it was caught at the last check post which is fortunate if, if nothing else it means that there will be will have been so many that slipped through that radar it again shows you that our police networks across across states are not looking closely enough and there are children upon children that are slipping through these cracks and one of the things that experts will say is that once a child goes into labor there are of course issues of bonded labor that exists later it's going to be very difficult for that child to then head back to school once a child works in a factory or begins to work begins to earn it's a very long way back home back home to education back home to their family and that is a crisis that is staring us in the face in his conversations with them experts told dipankar that the next few months are crucial and if effective action is not taken then this could turn into a full blown crisis and the government could take this time as an opportunity to do things that it hasn't done before to build systems that adequately address this problem so if you were to suddenly find governments that are in action 
looking at making more AHQs, making more ground level coordination efforts. For instance, one of the prescriptive methods for NCPCR is to create mechanisms at the panchayat level. So the panchayat officers or the villagers at the panchayat level are asked to keep a track of people coming in, not just people coming in, but making sure that children are not disappearing or children are not going away. And Dipankar says that there are informal ways in which this is happening right now. An example of that is what Chandan Maiti has been doing, the activist and headmaster of a girls' school who we had talked about earlier. Now, because child marriage and child trafficking has been so rampant in Sundarbans, intensified further during the lockdown and by cyclone Amphan, which had hit the area in May, Maiti over the years has come up with a successful way to tackle this issue. So one of the things that he has built over the years is a network of school children, five children to a class, five girl students to a class, spread out amongst villages, who kind of are aware, so awareness has already seeped into them, and they keep an eye out for their fellow children in their villages. So if they see that there are preparations for a marriage that are happening, they notify Mr. Chandan Maiti, who then notifies Childline and state officials. If they see that a girl has gone away and has not come home for two, three months, again, they will notify Mr. Maiti, they will notify who then will notify Childline and other police officials. Now, these are informal networks that really need to be built. And all of these experts will say that we need monitoring systems that penetrate down to the ground. So this is one mechanism that clearly can work and is prescribed by NCPCR in a different way, which is that Villages and panchayats need to get involved. So, you know, when when NCPCR has already put out this list of things that can be done at source states, at destination states, and during transit, governments need to take them seriously enough to follow them to the T. Is that a new measure? In prescription, it has already happened, which means they've already been told to do it. Have we really done them properly ever before? Probably not. So maybe that is one opportunity here. Another thing that can be done relates to the migrant crisis. Dipankar describes it as looking for a silver lining in a very dark cloud. But during the exodus, one thing that had happened was that some children had been brought back to the villages as well. Many had travelled by trains that had been started for the migrant labourers. If they were being brought back with the trafficker that had taken them, then what happens is, like for instance, the BBA said that they were working on a model where they were looking at data very closely of people that had come back to quarantine centers and had registered themselves in these migrant portals that the state governments used to run. Now, that data will show you that there was one, say, adult and five children returning home. So while this is not foolproof, it can identify for you certain strands or certain patterns of trafficking that existed. It can identify potential suspects. Basically, you can use this data to try and understand what avenues, what patterns trafficking was being carried out in during the lockdown. And that then can be used. So there are ways in which the government can build more robust systems. Some of them are new techniques. Some of them are just old techniques that need to be implemented fully and to the letter of the spirit and the law. The Indian Express investigation into this matter came out as a three-part series. And it contains harrowing stories of the tragedy that children in the country are facing right now. One of the stories that stays with me is that there was a child marriage that that was going to happen, that Mr. Maiti of the Sundarbans, it was brought to his attention. He went to that family. It was a priest's family. Now, in economic distress, marriages are shot, festivals are shot. 
there is no source of income so they had no money and they were planning to marry off their daughter now mr maithi went spoke to the family thought he was successful came back home realized that the but was then told sometime later that the girl had been taken to her relative's house to get her married it then turned out that the girl the young girl did not want to get married and consumed poison despite the fact that she consumed poison was in hospital recovered and brought home she was still married off and that is i mean that is that is disturbing to think about in terms of the government processes that failed in that process but it also tells you the amount of desperation a family has uh, what kind of economic distress there must be for you to still go ahead and do it another story that the banker was told by chandan maithi was of a class 9 boy who was forced to marry a class 7 girl and um, during distress given that the boy was not in school anymore and there were a fisherman's community he went out to the seas to fish and he was told that he would be on a boat for some days and he would get 160 rupees a day these are the scales of money and two hilsa fish two pieces of hilsa fish when he returned that is the employment that he had when he went on that boat and when amfan came and the waters became choppy the boat capsized and he died and he never returned the others more experience did he didn't return this girl then class 7 student 15 years old uh, mr maithi says an excellent student is now a widow and she is expected to follow a custom that says that for the next 7 years she is supposed to pray in front of a tree um praying to the god to bring her husband back that was to be her life for the next 7 years a victim of child marriage husband dead and now supposed to do this i mean i don't know whether this is a success story but mr maithi successfully spoke to both families and brought the girl back and despite the fact that the school isn't open she is now sharing a room at the superintendent woman superintendent's house at his school so i'm not sure whether that's a life rescued or a life lost but that kind of tells you the the scale of the problem that exists there are other stories too like that of a class 3 student who was rescued at the old derry railway station the boy had never stepped out of his home before where he lived with many siblings and one earning father an agricultural laborer the family had almost no money to get by and when they rescued him he kind of told them that i just never imagined working so far away from home all i want to do is go back go home go to school and have a grocery shop in my village one day but yet here he was thousands of kilometers away from his house in a train in the middle of the night rescued for trafficking now in a child shelter these stories though are only the tip of the iceberg dipankar says thousands of cases exactly like these and so many more that the rescuers couldn't get to are still out there and therefore this is a this is a problem that is a country i think the government all government state government central governments ngos communities we need to look at this very clearly because few months down the line a year down the line we could be then reporting stories of how bad the crisis has become
You were listening to Three Things by the Indian Express. Today's show was written and produced by me, Shashank Bhargav, and as always, was edited and mixed by our producer, Joshua Thomas. If you like this show, then you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also recommend the show to someone you think will like it. Share it with a friend or someone in your family. It's the best way for people to get to know about us. You can also tweet us at Express Audio and write to us at podcast at IndianExpress dot com. 